So just an explanation, a reminder of what we're about as a church and uh, why we exist. And I think, firstly, we exist for the same reason that any church exists. So the first little bit is about just any church, really. And where we've got to begin is, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we had Christmas a few weeks ago. Uh, some of us tried to avoid it, but it happened despite us. But we're remembering that Jesus came, that he seeks us. And so the beginning of our faith is the, and the existence of church is because God has sought us, because God loves us. He wants us in relationship. He looks for us. He comes to look for the lost. And there's a passage that I've referred to loads of times over the years uh, in lots of church meetings that seems to me so significant and so important from 1 John. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We begin with God's love for us. That's where we... Some of us struggle to work out whether God loves us. Some of us find it difficult to believe that. Some of us find it difficult to hold that or to feel it. And so the truth of Scripture is really important. God loves us. He has sought us. He wants to be in relationship. He has sent his son as a sacrifice for us. And therefore, since God so loved the world, we ought to love one another. So there is a response to that love. There is a response to say, I will now do what God wants, which is to love God and to love my neighbor. And that God's intention for humanity is a beautiful community of love and care for each other. But that's not easy. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. If we say we have faith that moves mountains, if we can speak with the tongues of angels, but we have not love, we are nothing. And these are words you hear me say so many times, but they've become absolutely foundational for my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We respond to the love of God by loving others. That's what it is all about. We love because he first loved us. And he gives us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. And so every church is starting from the point of view that it is God's creation. It is God's intention. It is God who starts it. It is the the body of Christ. It is his church. And that he calls a group of people to be his body, his hands and his feet, in order that we may make other followers, other disciples of Jesus. To go into the world and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who seeks to know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we want to love him. And if we love Jesus, we want to copy him. We want to live like him. We want to live his way of life of mercy, of grace, of compassion, of sacrifice, of generosity. And therefore we want to obey him. So the purpose of every church, whether they've lost it or not, the intention was to respond to the love of God by making disciples. But I think lots of us are struggling with a crisis of confidence in, the, in our Western Christianity. Many of us here are struggling with this thought. We kind of confident-ish in our faith, but we're not at all sure that anybody else would want to share it. We struggle with the idea that perhaps we're slightly odd. You look at me and you think, well, he's clearly slightly odd. 
But deep down, I think, there's an insecurity among us as Christians in the West where we feel we're slightly odd to believe. And we have lost confidence that anybody else would want to follow Jesus. So when Donald says, oh, the church is about making disciples, we go, that's great, but I don't know anyone who would want to be a disciple. Family, friends, colleagues, neighbours, acquaintances. But I want to suggest that we do know some things about some people that we live amongst. And this relates to uh, when we, recently when I've done the when we talked about baptisms, I've talked about the five reasons to be a disciple that are to do with the past, the present, and the future. And I want to suggest to you if you, some of us may have spotted it in the people we know, and some of us may not have spotted it yet, but it's there. You and I will be living in daily contact with someone who carries deep guilt and regret. A broken relationship, a sense of shame, a sense of dirtiness, a sense of uh, wishing that they could get rid of a pervading guilt. Now, not everybody feels that, but we probably know somebody who does. We may not spot it because it may be hidden, it may be covered up, it may be covered up with confidence and bravado and, and uh, peeling as if everything is well in the world. And maybe we're of the ilk that we think everybody else is happy and it's just us that isn't. The reality is we're all struggling. But if we know someone who is carrying guilt and regret over an action, over a poor choice, over something that has broken down, something that hasn't worked, the very heart of our faith is forgiveness, is mercy, is grace, of Jesus dying on the cross. And one of the things we believe in is a past that can be cleansed and forgiven. And that may be incredibly relevant to somebody else that you know. But you may also know someone who is struggling with self-esteem, maybe the same person, who just, you know, they feel rubbish, they struggle with insecurity, they don't feel good enough, they find it hard to enter into uh, rooms, they find it hard to be confident in situations, they feel hard, find it hard to volunteer to offer themselves, they don't think they're worth anything. Perhaps it's ingrained from parental relationships. But the good news of Jesus is of a God who has placed infinite value on us. The value of Jesus, that we are worth the death of Jesus. We are worth his blood. We are incredibly precious to God. We, he has first loved us. And so there will be people we know who need to know that they are actually precious in the sight of God, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. But it may also be that we know someone who is looking for meaning. Now that's the most easy one to hide. But you spot it in midlife crises. Blokes, round about 40, start doing stupid things because they want purpose. Why are they alive? What was the point? What is the meaning? What can I do with my life that's worthwhile other than just get more stuff and have experiences that I've forgotten the next day? And we believe in a God who calls us and says, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. Will you do this with what I've given you? Will you offer yourself to be part of the building of kingdom? 
So we will know people who need the good news of Jesus. We will also know people who are struggling, feeling vulnerable in lots of different situations, needing guidance, needing help. We may already be thinking of them. They may be in our family. They may be our neighbours. They may be colleagues. They may be friends. And they need to know God's help. And the good news, the gospel, is all of these things. It is forgiveness. It is value. It is purpose. It is help. It is a God who comes into our lives by his Holy Spirit and equips and empowers us and guides us through the difficult things that we face. And you may be along someone, alongside someone for whom this particular life is messed up and difficult and broken. And they long for a better life, for a new body, for a fulfillment of hope. And we believe in a God who will wipe every tear from their eyes and he will bring a new life. And so there is a future hope. It may be that one of these things is particularly pertinent and you think of someone and you think, that's what they need, I can see that. That's what they need. Or it may be several of them. I want to invite you, uh, after the service is finished, if you want to pray these things over a particular person. There's a little card that has those things there and some scriptures that go with them. That's going to be there. You can take that and you can pray into that if you wish. But how do we transition from, okay, firstly, I'm happy to be a disciple. The big step is, secondly, I think somebody else I know would be better off as a disciple. But then, colossal question, how on earth do we move into helping them to become a disciple. As a church, we've uh, worked on and developed a particular approach to things. It begins with that blessing, that sharing the love of Jesus. It begins with expressing the grace and mercy of Jesus in, in, in myriad ways, and we do that together. And I'm going to come back to that word because I can't make a disciple and you can't make a disciple. We need to do it together. And one of the things that we particularly try to do is to do that in a way that's relevant and practical and makes sense. So our mission statement is to make sense of life together and to share the love of Jesus. But how do we do it together? How do we make disciples together? And that's what we're going to renew our commitment to. And renew our commitment to seven things. If you've been part of the church or done living the life, you will know these seven things. And so this is an annual opportunity for us to renew our commitment to the seven things. Seven things that if you do, together we can make disciples. Now, actually, the good news is that you may not be able to have to do all seven. Six is fine. The even better news is actually if you could do just the first one, the most important, if you forget the rest, just concentrate on the first one, you will help us make disciples. Because if we all do the first one, we will make disciples together. In fact, everything will flow out of that. And much as we started in 1 John, I want to bring another passage that's been on my mind through Christmas because what happened at Christmas was, if you recall, they, uh, the team said, we've got this idea that's going to call Christmas Hope is Here. Uh, could you just do a talk on Hope is Here? And I went away and thought about it, and I came up with uh, five or six talks, which we did everything on Round Hope is here. And out of that, I was in Romans, and out of that, I came across another passage which feels so important for me this year that uh, I'm going to come back to it in some of our other services. 
So what is the one thing that you can do to help me make a disciple? And if the people sitting next to you, if they do, it will help you make disciples. We make disciples as a community. We don't do it as an individual. But we ask this. We ask you to live authentically as a Christian. We ask you to do your utmost to be filled with his spirit, to become more like Jesus every day. We ask you that if you're intent on being a hypocrite, to not call yourself a Christian. Say you're agnostic. We ask you that if you're intent on being bigoted, untruthful, selfish, bad-tempered, gossipy, grumpy, and generally unattractive in every shape or form, don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Just call yourself a follower of yourself. Because the most important thing that we can do is live authentically. And you go, well, how do I do that? And that's where I want to come back to, when I want to come to Romans. And I'm going to fly through Romans, and then we're going to do the other six quite quickly, and then we're going to dedicate ourselves to that, and we're going to use communion as part of our dedication. We'll finish around midnight, if that's okay. (laughs) Romans 12 says, I urge you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. And then he says that if you do this, you must not conform to the pattern of the world, but allow the transformation of God that our mind will start to think differently. And as I go through this whole passage, and we'll come back to it through the year, I was struck by the different ways it explains what authentic 24-7 Christian living looks like. And it's about knowing what God's will is for us every day. And it's hard, but it's not rocket science. It's hard to do, but it's not hard to understand. And as I go through it, I'm going to try as briefly as I can just to read Romans 12. I want you to allow God to prompt in your mind the things you go, do you know what, that's the thing I need to deal with this year. Lord, will you help me deal with that? I want that bit transformed within me. It'll be different for all of us. There'll be some of it that you probably won't have the the, the confidence to say, but you might just say, that's not a big deal for me. I'm okay on that. But there may be one or two things where you go, God, that's where I need you to fill me. That's what I need you to change within me. Because we want to be different to the world's pattern. So we're going to look at where the world is and what is different and what it means to, to follow God's good and pleasing, perfect will, simply by reading Romans chapter 12. For it is by grace given me that I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So there's the first thing. The pattern of the world is to think that we are incredible and important. And it's an old delusion, and many people don't really believe it. But we're, trying, we're told in this world to believe it and to think it, that we are the center of the universe. But actually, the way of God is one of humility and of confession, of being able to say, you know, God, this, I've not got this right. This isn't perfect. I need you. And maybe that's the first thing that God will be saying to you for 2024. I want you just to stop thinking of yourself as perfect and allow self-awareness and allow truth and allow me to change stuff. Because the, the, the foundation for transformation is the acknowledgement that we need it. 
And he says, for each of us has, been, uh, for each of us has one body with many members. We have, I, I've got fingernails, I've got kneecaps, I've got uh, earlobes, I, I, I've got a, a relatively hairy belly, belly button, uh, which you probably didn't want to know about. I've got different parts of my body that have got no relation to each other. They're completely different, aren't they? My eyes are very different to my ears. My nose is uh, trying to take over the whole joint, but it's bigger, it's, it, there are things, and he says, look, humanity is like a body. Different shapes and sizes. But the way of the world is to fear those who are different. The way that we see unfolding in frightening ways in our world is to blame the people who are different to us. And to, to circle into tiny, tiny, tiny little groups of people where we're all the same. And to exit any relationship with people who might be different to us. But God's good and pleasing will is to be committed to a body of Christ where people are different, different ages. To be committed to people who are younger than us and crazy, who are older than us and equally crazy. And the way of Christ is a way of valuing difference. And maybe that's the thing that you need to work on this year and say, Lord, will you help me to love the people who are different to me and not to be afraid of them? He says, we've been given different gifts according to the grace given to us. Each, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve it. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And too often we are told to use our gifts and our talents for our own agenda. He says, whatever you're good at, I want you to do it for the kingdom, for the glory of God, for the building of the church, for the making disciples. I want you to use our different skills and gifts for the benefit of others. And maybe that's what God's asking of you, to use what you have for others. He says, if it is giving, then give generously. And the pattern of this world is to accumulate, to hold on, to live in fear, and to have more and more. And the vain, pathetic search for happiness through stuff. But God's good and pleasing and perfect will is generosity. And that may be our thing for this year. He says it again, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. He says, if it is to lead, then do diligently. But you see, the way of the world is to help if it's convenient, is to serve if it is fun for us. Not to do it diligently, but to do it haphazardly whenever we fancy doing it. But God's perfect and pleasing will is to faithfully serve in loyalty and commitment. And maybe that's the thing for us this year is to say, God, I'm going to stick at this. I'm going to do it diligently. I'm not going to do it half-heartedly. I'm not going to turn up when I feel like it. I'm going to be there week in, week out. I'm going to lead diligently. He says, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Isn't that great? To show mercy cheerfully. In other words, when people get it wrong, when people damage, when people hurt, when people make us angry, we cheerfully model God's forgiveness. Not begrudgingly, but cheerfully. See, the way of the world is to judge, is to condemn, is to box, is to label the people who have messed up and to feel so much better because we can put our foot on them and look down on them and say, they've done something wrong and we can blame them and we can shout at them. 
The way of Christ is to show mercy and to do it cheerfully, to have compassion for the wrong. And maybe that's the thing that God's saying. I want you to do that. I want you to be transformed. I want you to stop feeling good about yourself by blaming others. I want you to cheerfully show mercy. The pattern of this world, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. The pattern of this world is to ignore injustice. But he says, I want you to hate what's wrong. I don't want you to just walk on by. I want you to resist whatever is wrong in our world, in our nation, in our workplace, in our community. Be devoted to one another in love. The world's pattern for friendship is to move on when it gets difficult. If people are ungrateful, we stop being their friends. If people don't reply to our text, we stop texting them. If people are difficult and needy and and overwhelming, we move on. But God says be devoted. It means stay with it, stick in it, persevere in friendship. How can we build disciples? We live authentically. It means to model these kind of things, to live in relationship with people with perseverance. Honour one another above yourselves. In other words, we don't seek recognition. We're not following them. We don't need to be thanked. We don't need to be noticed. We don't need to be on the platform. We don't need everybody to see us. We just want to honour and bless others. We live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. And maybe that's how we live authentically this year. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Whereas the pattern of this world is to resist commitment, is to resent it, is to, is to move on, is to get bored, is to have compassion fatigue, is to say, well, we did that for a few weeks. Whereas the way of Jesus, his good and perfect and pleasing will, is to not lose the enthusiasm, is to hang on, is to keep going, is to keep serving, is to keep worshipping, is to keep coming, is to keep being there. He says, be joyful in hope. That's where I got into this, because I noticed this phrase. I studied every verse in the Bible that talks about hope in November, because they'd said, do hope is here. And I thought, oh, how do I do that? Anyway, I really, really got so locked into this verse. And then I thought, I can't do this at Christmas. I need to do this for the rest of the year. What does it mean to be joyful in hope? It means we stop complaining. The way of the world is to, to be angry about things that are wrong. But we've done it already. To be joyful and hope is to practice gratitude. He says, be patient in affliction. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. What does that mean? Well, the way of the world is to be angry when things aren't right. So this is not fair. This is, uh, 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 and we, we feel, we see this anger in our community. Why do people uh, shout at us when we don't let them out in a traffic jam? Because everybody's angry. Everybody's frustrated. And here's the deal. Things are not going to work out the way you want. We have a choice. We can be angry about that or patient. We will build disciples if we respond with patience to what isn't how we want it to be. We accept difficulty. 
We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We don't blame them. We don't ignore them. We don't pretend and feel that they, they're uh, making us feel unhappy. We get into the difficult places and we walk alongside people and we are faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. We keep on praying. So the pattern of the world is to give up if God hasn't answered within a minute or two. But God's good and perfect will is a persistence in prayer. And I want to invite you. I don't know which of these ones is for you, but to be persistent in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. If ever there is a scripture that the world needs in 2024, it is this. You want to send it out to every president, every politician, every terrorist, every general. The pattern of this world is to repay wrong. The pattern of this world is to blow them up, destroy them, kill them. And if we're going to make disciples, we've got to be a completely different community, a countercultural community, a community that the world goes, wow, that's different. Because what we need to do is to seek the best for those who have hurt us. Bless and do not curse. And he goes into this in quite some detail. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't pay people back. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. And then he says, the reason you're not to take revenge is that is God's business. There's a day of judgment where God will deal with the things that are wrong in the world. He says, don't you be God. It is mine to avenge, he says. I will repay, says the Lord. So if God's going to judge and avenge, what do we have to do? Here is the real deal. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And that will transform them. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not vote for people who are repaying evil with evil, but for people who want to transform our enemies through love. This is the incredible message of Jesus. In the family, in the workplace, in the community, we live authentically so that's what it means we're going to do the other six things very quickly the most important thing is to live authentically is to try go and study Romans 12 look at it pick it out say that's for me that's the bit I need to work on Father will you help me will you fill me with your spirit will you enable me to do it and then we lead on to the next things that we ask you to do if you're part of this church we ask you simply to pray for us and if you're living authentically you will be praying and it will be easy and natural. And actually, all the next five will follow very nicely and easily if you're going for the first one. If you're saying, I want to be 
an individual follower of Jesus this year, then we will find ourselves doing the other ones. So number two is to simply pray. Uh, We've got a little prayer card that's by the door as you leave. The five prayers for 2024 for our church. If you would be so good as to put this uh, on the end of your bathroom mirror opposite you on the toilet, on your ceiling of a bedroom, on your fridge, uh, in your oven, no, probably not, uh, in your Bible, if you've still got one, uh, on your phone, wherever it is. These are the five prayers. You could have come up with your own five prayers, but five prayers that would be really helpful for us if you prayed. Firstly, would you pray for new faith? We want to make disciples. We want to see new disciples. The best way of evidencing that happen is in a baptism. I want just to pray that you've, at the beginning, I said, do you know anyone who would want to be a Christian? And you may think there's someone I would just love. I would love one day to be in this church and to have this baptistry open and for them to come and tell their story. I would love this person to be a disciple of Jesus and to tell everyone that they love him. And you may think, I'm a million miles from that. How on earth does that person get from wherever they are today to here? We do it together. And we do it by praying and living. We don't do it on our own. We do it by these uh, six things. So that's the first thing to pray. Secondly, will you pray for wisdom and grace? For all of us, in the way we care for those we're living with and among, and particularly those who are seeking help from the church, and that we have a courage to invite, to say, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to this activity? Why don't you come to Alpha? And that we have the courage to befriend. And that whoever of us brings someone new, that others of us gather around in friendship and help and build relationships. So that's second prayer. And the next three are fairly practical. Will you pray for us as we will be recruiting new staff this year? As Sarah has left us, we want to uh, um, replace her and, and have uh, new staff in our team. Will you pray for that, that we're guided in that? Will you pray for us financially? and the provision that we need for all the mission that we do and that we support for our staff, for our food bank. Colossal, daunting figures you'll see in a moment. But will you pray for us in that? Will you pray for our partnership with Falcon Lodge Chapel? So take one of these cards as you go home tonight, please. They're in the doors over there and pray into that. The third thing that we ask you to do, very simply, is to care for a few people around you. Just two or three people that you commit to. You say, I'm going to look after this, but I'm going to look out. If they're not there, I'm going to check up on them. If they need a lift, I'm going to give them a lift. If they need prayer, I'm going to pray for them. If they need a listening ear, I'm going to listen. Maybe people you sit near, it may be people you live near, it may be people you're in a group with, it may be people you're in an activity and you serve together, it may be friends that have brought you here, but will you care for a few people where you are proactive in checking they're all right? Fourthly, will you give to the work of the church if you can? If you can just manage 10p, I think there's tremendous spiritual power in giving something. And there are a number of us that have huge financial difficulties. We know that. But if you could manage 10p. Where does it go? Let me just show you very briefly that uh, the income that we give, 60% of what we give goes to the staff employment costs, the workers that we support in our church that work in the different activities. And then uh, this church has a unique and challenging thing that I've inherited which is that we give away 25% of everything that we have been given, we give it to external need. 
25%. Most churches do 10%. We do 25%. That's something that this church has done for many, many years, partly because it's a more affluent area. So everything you give, 25p of it, if you give a pound, 25p of it will be given away to another Christian need. And then there is keeping the lights, the heating, all of that stuff, the roof leaking is about 12%. And then all the other little bits and bobs comes to about 3%. If you're able to give something, that would be really, really helpful. Our budget for this coming year is three quarters of a million pounds. So obviously, if you're able to give more than 10p, that's going to be, that's going to be helpful too. There's a spiritual dynamic with the 10p. We have miraculously never gone into debt. And we're grateful to God for that provision. But it comes from the generosity of people in the church. I hate talking about money. I don't wish to talk about money. Uh, but I have to do it every now and then. We used to take up an offering. And we discuss that at church meetings regularly. But... The reason we don't take up an offering is because I want it to be not something that you're made to do because something comes in front of you, but because it's something that you've chosen to do because you want to do it, because you want to give to the work of God in this particular community. If you're able to set up a standing order, that's great. If you're able to amend it in line with however your income has changed in the last year, that's even better. There's stuff out there that tells you how to do it. There's stuff here. I want to just, in the absence of an offering, I want to just pray. Because we used to, before the pandemic, the pandemic gave me the opportunity to see if I could get rid of various things that I've longed to get rid of for years. One was the offering. I led into a secret. Silver plates. I wanted to get rid of them for 30 years, and we've got lovely wooden ones today. When you come and get in communion, we're going to be much closer to Jesus. I don't think he used silver. And we're going to share some wooden stuff together. So that's uh, my little encouragement. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, because the offering. I'm going to get into trouble for that. It's better to be honest than, than hide things. We used to stand for the offering. And... I do just want to, to, to pray for a moment now because so many of you have given so incredibly generously. How we've managed year on year not to get into debt is remarkable. When you look at three quarters of a million pounds, that's given by the people you're sitting next to. It's remarkable. Would you stand with me? This is how we used to do it. We used to bring the things to the front. You'd all be talking amongst yourselves and ignoring it. We'd bring the things to the front. You'd feel you have to stand. And the music would stop when I'd say a prayer. So let's do the prayer without the music. Father, we thank you for the, your provision and your generosity over the last year. We thank you for all the gifts that have been given. The costly choice and decision to set aside a percentage, and to give to your work. We thank you. We thank you that we have not been in need, that somehow we have met everything. And we ask that you will continue to provide us with our daily bread. 
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So there we go. Uh, fifth, we've got, we got authentic living, most important thing. We've got praying, we've got caring, we've got giving, we've got attending. You are so significant when you are here. You are much less used when you are not here. Did you know that? Do you know how good it feels to be near people who sing? It's really awkward if you're sat on your own and there aren't people singing. If you've brought someone and you bring them along and they feel there's nobody here, we feel, oh, I want it to be full. But when you come and you sit near someone, you don't have to sing well, I don't, but you just bring a spiritual thing. It's like that 10p. There's something spiritual happens when people come together to meet with God. There is an atmosphere in this room. There is a feeling. There is a sense of God. So please do continue to come. If you do nothing else, be here. Well, please live authentically. Please pray. Please care. But other than that, just come. And when the moment is right, when the person perhaps that you're praying for and you just say, why don't you come? Do you know what the most easy thing that somebody can come to is? And I've realized this, and it's taken me a long time to realize this. The most easy thing for a person to come to is not a special event. It is not Alpha. It is an ordinary service. That's the easiest thing to invite someone to because they're expecting it to be singing, and they're going to get singing. They're expecting it to be boring. But they're interested in why you go. They want to know what, what it is that you see in it. Now, it may be that on that invitation, they say, well, I want to know what Christianity is about, in which case, please do come and join us on Alpha on a Wednesday evening and come with them. It's really hard to go into that building over there and ask questions. Really hard. Much easier to come here on a Sunday. But the next step is to come on a Wednesday but they'll probably need you to come with them. And I hope that every one of us, some point in our life, gets to do Alpha with somebody else because we get to stand in the congregation and see somebody say, I came to church, I found Jesus, I've understood what it meant through Alpha and I'm getting baptised. So I'd love you to have the opportunity to bring somebody. Don't force it, don't make it an embarrassing conversation that puts them off for the rest of their life. Wait for the moment and say, why don't you come with me? Come and see what it's like. Maybe you know someone who's struggled to get into this church, struggles to feel part of it because it's so big. The three different services, all the, the, the hundreds of people that come, and you think, I don't know how to get them in. Invite them to live in the life. Meet at the same time. It's an opportunity to get to know what we're about. And the last thing is the least important. Because if you're living authentically in your family life or in your work life, or your health doesn't allow you to do stuff in a church because you're so full of doing other things. Serving is the least important. But if you want to play a part, if you want to have a role, if you want to volunteer, if you want to use your gifts inside the church, then that's great. 
There's a thing, a uh, little thing that gives you all sorts of opportunities to serve in the church. If you take a photograph of that, you can look at the QR code in your, in your leisure. For those of you who can't do electronics, I think there are a couple of these in the foyer. They just give all kinds of different opportunities to get involved, whether it's Sunday, whether it's midweek. So do take one of those if that's appropriate for you. We're going to move towards responding together. There's a prayer on the screen. I want to invite you to say this with me. And there are two slides. God our Father, in the name of Christ and in the power of the Spirit, we renew our commitment to you and to one another to live, work, and pray as one body in Christ, to love as Christ loves, to act as Christ acts, and to speak as Christ speaks. We will seek to do what you have called us to do at work, in our families, in our community, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. Amen.